is a teaching from an early Buddhist text called the Sutta Nipata, where the Buddha is discoursing with 16 students that come to ask him questions about suffering and the way beyond, from a chapter called The Way to the Beyond. And this is the question, one of the questions from the student Kappa. The student Kappa went to the Buddha. Sir, he said, there are people stuck midstream in the terror and the fear of the rush of the river of becoming, and death and decay overwhelm them. For their sake, sir, tell me where to find an island. Tell me where there is solid ground beyond the reach of all this pain. Kappa, said the master, for the sake of those stuck in the middle of the river of becoming, overwhelmed by death and decay, I will tell you where to find solid ground. There is an island, an island which you cannot go beyond. It is a place of no thingness, a place of non-possession and of non-attachment. It is the total end of death and decay, and this is why I call it Nibbana. There are those who in mindfulness have realized this and are completely peaceful here and now. We've been cultivating this practice of mindfulness. Little by little during this week of our retreat together, development of mindfulness as that which not only steadies, focuses, allows us to arrive more fully into the presence of our life, allows us to be here, but also begins to reveal the underlying unmoving nature, the suchness. Kirisara was talking about last night as the deathless, that which isn't in a state of movement, isn't in a state of coming into being, coming into birth, or subject to decay. The recognition as the Buddha called it, of nirvana, which literally had the meaning of uh, cooling, as if you would take a pot off a fire that's been bubbling away, that's hot, burning even, just removing it, and so it begins to cool and become peaceful. In the development of the training of, Nirva- of, of um, mindfulness, we've, uh, we begin, we've been beginning with, as is encouraged by the Buddha in the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the teaching on how to base mindfulness upon the foundation of the body. We're beginning with bringing atten- attentiveness again and again, moment by moment, to how is it now? working exactly with how it is now, not in some ideal state, 
whenever all the conditions are right for us to be super mindful. But again and again, coming into relationship with the reality of our experience here and now. This is how the body is. This this morning, this time, with the influences of what we've eaten for breakfast, whether we feel tired or not, rested or not, impacted by maybe the mental activity, maybe emotional content, all that is present, the coolness of the morning, this is what we become mindful of, we bring attention to and steady, allow a steady steadiness of attentiveness moment by moment with the body and the breath, training mindfulness to be with the breath, something very simple, very neutral, something we usually miss because we're so fascinated by the content of our, of our minds, consumed by the content of our thinking and our memories and our speculation. So being able to train, to move attention to the neutral experience of one breath at a time, breathing in, feeling the whole of the in-breath, and breathing out, relaxing on the exhalation, breathing in, breathing out, this simple practice and training, being with one breath at a time, that simple begins to cultivate this container of mindfulness, this steadiness of mindfulness, this refuge of awareness, presence. As mindfulness becomes more steady, as we're more attentive, as we're more present, then beginning to reflect on what we've been uh, phrasing it, what moves through the mind, the activity of the mind or the heart. Being able to, in our vipassana, notice the different states of mind that come and go, restlessness, resistance, hope, speculation about the future, memories from the past, dullness, anxieties, doubts. Beginning to, we've been, rather than perhaps having, being so swept away by the states of mind or struggling with them, trying to push away from them or distract with a steadiness of mindfulness, we begin to learn that we don't have to identify and get swept away and we don't have to push away. We can just stay very steady and begin to allow the natural illumination of awareness to reveal the nature of the activity of mind. And rather rather than it so much being me and my problems, it becomes dhamma, it becomes nature. This is the nature of restlessness. This is the nature of doubt. This is the nature of sadness or fear or whatever we're with. So in this, this way, we can begin to have some skill 
as we said, uh, from the teaching of uh, Master Xinhua, who <coughs> influenced and uh, guided our practice. Kitty Sara and I has been very influential. He would frame it being, uh, rather than being turned by the state of mind, being overwhelmed, being washed away, being compelled into a war zone by the state of mind, we learn to realize that the state of mind turns, that it arises and passes away. It has this nature. Maybe we, with mindfulness, rather than getting so fixated on the content of our experience, trying to fix it and sort it all out and get it right, we begin to have enough perspective to see the construct of the state of mind in that it has this nature of ephemerality. It's there for a while and then it passes. Very compelling. And then by the afternoon it's something different or by the end of the meditation something else. So it's training of mindfulness, steadying. It's the base, the foundation encouraged very much to cultivate this in relationship to the experience here and now within body and mind. However, being really, really mindful, although it has many, many benefits and allows us to live more skillfully, more freely, more fluidly, in life, it's not considered the goal in and of itself. Becoming more and more attentive, more and more mindful. It's very positive, very important. It was uh, one of the um, most attained of the Buddha's disciples called Anuruddha once came to the uh, Sariputta. Sariputta was considered the disciple foremost in wisdom, foremost in understanding. And Anuruddha, who was a very powerful practitioner, came to Sariputta one day and he said, you know, Sariputta, he said, there's no one more mindful than me. I'm the foremost out of the whole of the Sangha. I am the foremost in mindfulness. Everything that I do, I'm aware of, attentive to, every state of mind, everything I I can see and know. I'm elaborating here a little bit, (laughs) bordering onto the sutta. He's very pleased with his development of mindfulness, unwavering mindfulness. He said, you know, Sariputta, I am the most mindful in the Sangha but I still suffer. I still experience suffering. And so Puta said to him, well, he said, your perception that you're the most mindful in the Sangha is connected with your sense of self-conceit. And your accomplishment, and Aruda was very accomplished in psychic powers, He's also a bit, a little bit proud of that, I think. Yeah. A great facility for extrasensory perception. 
reading others' minds, being able to tell the future, being able to know the causes of the past. So Zariputra said, your, your skill at psychic powers is connected with your restlessness. Still, there's still somehow very mindful, but still not free, still glued to the conditions of the world, even the most, the most seductive ones, being psychically aware, having the knowledge, extrasensory knowledge, very seductive, very compelling, but not necessarily liberating. In fact, can actually even be very deluding. <laughs> as we find out in some of the disciples who go eventually way off track down that pathway. So then the Sariputra uh, said to Anuruddha, you know, Anuruddha, you need to turn your mind to the deathless, to the unformed, to Nibbana, the uncreated, the unoriginated. Turn your mind to the deathless. Stop being so obsessed about the content. So today, in our practice, moving on or incorporating or integrating or considering the Dharma talk last night on this theme of the Third Noble Truth. The Third Noble Truth is about this practice of turning the mind back. In the Chan or Zen, they call it the great return, the great reversal. Mind's always running out, seeking to find its nature through thoughts, sensory experience, memories, constructs of the self. This is what's called samsara, this endless uncertainty and wandering. So the mind, turning the mind back to its own ground. So the goal isn't so much about getting somewhere, but returning to the source. It's a a goal that's returning here more fully. We can begin to get a sense for this, the noble truth, as a practice. We can actually, it's a realization, actually, here and now, realization, recognition. We know, we can taste this deathlessness here and now as a taste of peace. We can uh, access it through this sense of aware presence, being aware, present. Utter simplicity of that, immediacy, availability. We looked a little bit too far often. But we can also, it can be recognized but we can also begin to attune to. It's like a, a, a practice or an attunement or almost like an acquired taste. We, don't, we would think we want to be peaceful, but often we actually really don't because it's actually a bit boring. 
we're actually much more mesmerized by the stuff. So that's why I call it an acquired taste. You just acquire a taste for it. One of the, the different ways we can enter into this contemplation of turning the mind to the deathless. The retreats like this are, are very good actually for that because there's actually really not a lot happening. It's, it's, it's quite hard because the, the, we, we associate our sense of who we are by, by what we do and our, our social exchange. We get very, you know, very strong sense of me doing something, who I am in the world, the roles I play. All of that is actually taken away in these retreats. It can be quite disorientating, quite difficult. But it's also an opportunity. It's an opportunity to begin to relax into the nothing much happening, the spaciousness, the non-events of the day. There's nothing really to look forward to. No great, you know, big movie showing in the evenings or distraction. Here we are in this this way, very much when um, living in when we lived in a monastic life. This was this was very much the the style of monasticism. There's actually nothing really ever happens. It's it's incredibly boring. Everyone looks the same, dresses the same, same schedule, day in and day out. We do these long, long retreats, like, like here in winter. All the no leaves, you go outside and it's like it's all just white snow and no leaves. It's, but these are, you know, the, the, we can feel like, oh, you know, where's the summer? Where's the content? Where's the colors? Where's the excitement? Where's the zany Dharma talks? <laughs> but it's this, this acquired taste. It's like turning the mind, getting the mind, getting a sense for that which is more dispassionate. This isn't like a doorway. Yeah, the, the, the simplicity, the, the you know, ter- getting a sense for the the, uh, like the space. We come into a room and we, we just say, who's here? You know, and, 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 and you know, all like the dynamics that can go on, the sort of, um, we can't really act them out, thank goodness, on a retreat, but there's a lot, <laughs> a lot of dynamics that go, that go on about you know, people we notice, people we really notice, people we haven't noticed at all, people that we might feel, for no specific reason, we haven't even talked to them, we might even feel a bit averse, you know, this whole reactivity. So we're very drawn to the forms, the content, but also what we don't really notice is the space. We don't come into this room and say, wow, there's a lot of space here. But we can actually contemplate that way, that the, the room that we're sitting in space, the IMS is in space. That this whole earth is, is in space. 
that the content of the mind is happening within a space, the space of awareness. So we get a sense of highlighting the space. Last night, Kitty Sarah was talking about another way with sounds. We can get very particular about what kind of sounds we're hearing, especially on retreat. We don't like the vacuum cleaner going this morning. Yeah, it's like, oh, that, you know, that's not a great sound. So it should be very quiet and peaceful, or we hear someone talking somewhere. We hear beautiful music. hear cars and that's like not a great sound so we get very choosing about the different kinds of sounds it's natural what what sounds we want but what we can also notice is that each sound arises and it dissolves it dissolves where does it dissolve into where does each sound Where does it dissolve? What, is, what remains when the sounds finish? So we start to look not just at the content and be so fascinated about the quality, but we can start to look at where do things end? When the sound finishes, they're still hearing, isn't there? They're still listening, still presence. So the, often in life, we're not really with the ending of things. We sort of keep rushing on to the next thing because it's more exciting for us. The next project, the next holiday, the next big thing. And we don't like when, you know, to sit through the ending, the, the finishing of a loss of a loved one, the ending of a of something that we've you know, really been mesmerized by. The, a movie, I don't know if you go to a movie, you get completely enthralled with the story. And then when you walk out, that horrible feeling, <laughs> it's like, oh God, back into reality. <laughs> but these are actually opportunities, the, the, the sense of being with, uh, the patiently being with the, with the, the dying away, this, these are all ways into this dispassion, into what's called niroda, the niroda nibbana, the cooling, the peaceful, the non-created, the deathless. Aging's another one. It's a, it's a royal road in a way. Things are beginning to, as one ages, naturally decline. In our culture, we're very resistant to that. We rush out and get some nips and tucks and <laughs> hair dye and so on. But actually, the natural process of aging is a, is a very transpersonal state, space. It begins to allow us to open to other dimensions naturally. It's very kind, actually, kindness. a natural way of being able to be inducted beyond the, the fixation and the identification that we have with, a, with our identity as this body.
So there might still be, when we've been practicing in this way or highlighting today in our practice this uh, third noble truth, there'll still be the karmic activity, there'll still be the momentum of the thinking, of our planning and our the different hindrances, the states of mind, there's still a certain momentum, sometimes very intense momentum of, of, our, of, of, uh, of the mind, or intensity of experience, or distractedness. It's not that nirvana or nibbana means that everything just stops. There's still momentum, but what begins to stop is the identification or the grasping of the mind. There's a release. There's a non-identification. There's stuff still happening. Mind is still moving. The self is still appearing and dissolving and doing its thing. But there's a recognition. There's the ability, there's the, with the mindfulness, this mindfulness turning to the deathless, the mindfulness is able to encourage this sense of letting go, letting be, not having to identify. And, and with that, the recognition begins to emerge of the space of the mind, the awareness of the mind, the presence of the mind, the stillness within the movement, the non-moving within the movement. So another way, another skillful means that can help open us into this contemplation is just the simple inquiry, who? Who's thinking? Who's trying to get somewhere? Who's wanting the retreat to end or never to end? Who's upset? Who's getting more enlightened as the days go on? (laughs) Who can't stand it another moment? This this is just like a... a, It's Kitty Sara mentioned the other day, he called it... um, in In the Zen, they call it fighting fire with fire. In South Africa, sometimes one, we, one of the things we have to do as a, in the hermitage uh, by law is to burn fire breaks every year. So in the summer, in the winter, there it gets very, very dry, and we get these runaway fires that can be very destructive. Lightning can come down and set a field on fire, and when the when the fire goes, it, it's very, very fast. Can be terrifying. We we've had before one of our three months retreat. We had like ten minutes. We had a fire that came down from the mountains behind us in Lesotho. Uh, sometimes when there's a lot of uh, cattle rustling that goes on, on that we're on a border between Lesotho and South Africa. They drive the cattle. This has been going on for hundreds of years. <laughs> the Lesotho come down. They they take the cattle and drive them up. And then sometimes they light fires behind. Which is which? Which is a, a pretty powerful way of distracting attention. <laughs> you know, or sometimes lightning strikes. Sometimes very very high winds and the and the pylons, the electrical pylons will bre- the wires will snap and then they'll come down and. Uh, <clears throat> or sometimes in the fire breaks when you, you to burn a fire break around the property. Sometimes in the burning of the fire break, uh, one of the Firebreaks itself will run away, will start to run. 
And when that happens, uh, it, it can be it can be pretty, as I said, pretty scary, uh, pretty powerful. We had to one day just drop everything and 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 leave. Lucky, lucky, felt lucky to leave with our lives. So it's it's a it's a very powerful element, any of the elements when they're when they're um, out of control. So there's a thing that they call a backburn when there's a fire running away. We've had sometimes a fire break will run away, fire's going. Then you get in front of the fire, and you burn a line to burn into the fire that's already going so that there's no fuel for that fire and the fire goes out. It's called, it's called doing a backburn. So in this practice of the question who, it's like a little backburn. <laughs> you, you have a, a, a runaway fire like the mind, just thinking, 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 obsessing, obsessing, obsessing. Yeah. And then you just you put a, a backburn in a question like who? Who's thinking? Who's anxious? Who's worried? And it, it begins to collapse. It helps to collapse and, and disidentify with the, with the compelling nature of that momentum, that karmic momentum of the mind. So you say, it's not just going who, 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 again, like a Vipassana machine gun, just to try and knock stuff out. Just like who, and then and then that's the yang side of the question, who, and then the yin side is then the listening, listening. Sometimes it's called listening back into the self nature, returning the hearing back into that which is listening. <clears throat> This is called one of the methods of Kuan Yin. In the Mahayana Sutra called the Shurangama Sutra, Kuan Yin is describing her method of enlightenment. She describes this method of returning the hearing. Rather than listening, rather than chasing sounds, rather than chasing the objects of sense, our senses, we turn the mind back into who is the one chasing Who is the one listening? So this another way is this listening into presence, listening into awareness, listening into the heart. So this practice, it takes a lot of patience to bear with sometimes the momentum of what we're with, the power of what we're with, sometimes the pain with, with what we're with. Sometimes there's no space, it just feels very constricted, very restless, and so one can still practice this third noble truth. The practice then is, is a subtle and more bearing with, without adding more fuel to the fire of the mind. 
more fuel to the reactivity towards our experience, this more patient. This whole territory of the Third Noble Truth is, is one another entryway, is, is really a profound cultivation of patience. Not the patience to get to the end, but the bearing with how it is in this moment and then in this moment begins to burn out the fuel of the fire of becoming as in that uh, response that the Buddha made to Kappa. Starts to cool the fevers of the mind and the heart and begins to induct us little by little into the taste of the heart in its more peaceful, spacious, aware, present, such, natural state. Not moving, not fearful, not retracting, not recoiling, not needing anything, not lacking in anything, just simply here, awake. In mindfulness, as the Buddha said, not only do we know that which is moving through the heart, but in mindfulness, there's the recognition of the unmoving. Within the spaciousness, the boundarylessness, another word for Nibbana, sometimes this third noble truth, Niroda, which means beyond the walls or without, outside of the prison, beyond the walls of the mind, unboundaried, within this natural spacious heart, all things arise, can appear and dissolve. Nothing detracts from its innate luminosity, its innate presence. Master, I'll put it like this. Why do you take something moving like your body and its environment to be substantial? You have lost your true nature and conduct yourself in an upside-down way. Having lost your true nature, you recognize objects as yourself and you then turn in the revolving wheel of birth and death. The primary misconception about the mind and body is that the mind dwells in the physical body. You do not know that the physical body, as well as the mountains, the rivers, empty space, the great earth itself, are all within this wonderful, bright, true awareness.
So today, being very patient with uh, how it is, establishing moments of mindfulness, presence, attentiveness, as we've been doing, being with the breath. How is it now, being with the body as our ground? Being patient with all the activity of the mind and the heart. Taking one breath at a time, and in moments being able to return, return the mind as in the encouragement of Sariputta to Anuruddha, turning the mind, turning the inquiry back into the listening, listening into the heart ground, into presence, noticing the peacefulness of each moment, spaciousness, the stillness, And in that way, little by little, acquiring a taste for the fullness of being here and now. Resting in that, steadying in that, surrendering into that. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.